the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Because there's always a bigger picture outside of the hardship. Welcome to Core Truth Radio, a radio ministry of Core Church Los Angeles with pastor and Bible teacher Steve Wilburn. Pastor Steve will be teaching the Word of God with truth from the Bible. For more information, go to corechurchla.org. That's corechurchla.org. Now here's Pastor Steve with today's Core Truth. We're going to be in Exodus chapter 1, and I entitled this message, Taking Notice, because God takes notice of us. But have you ever been overlooked? Have you ever been neglected? Have you been forsaken or even forgotten by someone? Maybe you went out of your way to do something and nobody noticed. Maybe you had a special moment and nobody cared. Maybe you were passed by for a job promotion. Yes, I'm sure that we've all had our share of letdowns in this life, our share of being skipped over, our share of, well, disappointments. Yes, it can happen to any of us, and I'm sure we've all had those feelings. Well, if we were to take those feelings of being forgotten and left behind, and we were to multiply them by maybe a million, that might be close to how God's people found themselves feeling here in our text today. It's been said, though, quote, whoever will have nothing to do with thorns can never gather roses because sometimes in life there's thorns. It's also been said sufferings are to a spiritual maturity as a chisel is to a stone sculpture. Yes, believe it or not, hardships do mold and shape us into being the men and the women that God desires us to be. It was Charles Stanley that said this quote, Adversity is not simply a tool. It is God's most effective tool for the advancement of our spiritual lives. The circumstances and events that we see as setbacks are oftentimes the very things that launch us into periods of intense spiritual growth. Once we begin to understand this and accept this, a spiritual fact of life, adversity becomes easier to bear, end quote. Well, that was a long quote, but there was a lot of truth in that quote. Now, here in our study through the book of Exodus, listen again to how Moses' life fell into three distinct periods of time. Each one lasted 40 years. His first 40 years, he was born and he grew up as the prince of Egypt possibly groomed to be the next leader, maybe Pharaoh himself. 
His second 40 years, from 40 to 80 years old, he was a man on the run. He was looking over his shoulder. He became a shepherd of sheep, lonely, in a desert, as we called UBSD, the University of the Backside of the Desert. His third 40 years, from 80 to 120, he became the great deliverer. He became the lawgiver. He became the leader of God's people, Israel, and one of the most recognized names in all the Bible outside of God himself. But how did Moses, a Hebrew, get into Egypt in the first place? Well, as you know, if you're with us as we study through the book of Genesis, God allowed great hardship and difficulty in the life of Joseph, Jacob's son. Remember, it was Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Well, his second to youngest son, Joseph, who Jacob favored over all of his other sons, that, you know, led to a great jealousy and envy within his older sons towards Joseph. And the fact that God gave Joseph dreams about the whole family actually bowing down and serving him, uh, especially him being the younger son, that didn't go over very well at all. In fact, it went over like a lead balloon. In fact, his brothers wanted to kill him. Yet Judah, one of the older brothers, convinced the other brothers to, let's not kill the young kid. Let's just sell him to Ishmaelite slave traders, which they did. They in turn then took Joseph to Egypt and sold him to the highest bidder. And it was a a wealthy Egyptian named Potiphar who bought him, and that led to a lifetime of ups and downs for Joseph. From being promoted and exhorted under Potiphar to be the lead servant in his home running all of his affairs, to being falsely accused by Potiphar's wife for attacking him, which she didn't attack him, or he didn't attack her, she attacked him. Yes, she was a woman that wanted that man. She says, lie with me. And he said, how can I do this great evil and sin against God? That landed him in prison. Yes, in prison for a very long time, which led to him being lifted up out of that prison because of him telling of dreams and giving the answers to what dreams meant, and he was promoted again. Yes, Joseph's life, it looked like a roller coaster with extreme ups and extreme downs. Yet even with Jacob's brothers forsaking him, What did we learn through all that? God never forsook Joseph. And even though it appeared to be a life from the pit of hell, it was all in God's perfect plan to mold and to shape Joseph into what nobody would have ever dreamed could have happened to his life. That's when, through the providence of God, Joseph became crazy as it might sound, the second most powerful leader in the known world as he became second only to Pharaoh in Egypt. Why? 
Because God knew that a devastating famine was coming upon the land. And he used Joseph to store food through seven years of great abundance that would be followed by seven years of great famine. And he saved a nation of people. He preserved them, the Egyptians that is. But at the same time, in the midst of preserving the Egyptians, he saved God's chosen people, the Hebrews, and he brought his entire family down to Egypt to not only be preserved from the famine, but to also see the hand of God's blessing upon them. They were given the land of Goshen, which was well watered, and it was just a beautiful land that they lived right outside of Egypt. In the end, though, Joseph's father, as you know, Jacob, ended up dying after many years there. And as you remember, there wasn't long after that, he had moved that whole family down there. But Jacob, when he died, the older sons thought, oh no, Pops is gone. So what's Joseph, our little brother, going to do to us? It's like, oh my goodness, they thought as soon as their father died that Joseph was going to take revenge on them because of their jealousy as they had sold their little brother as a slave when he was just a teenager. And now that dad had gone on to heaven, they thought, oh my goodness, Joseph's going to look at us and say, you dirty rats. And now that dad's gone, I'm going to take it out on you. Those brothers sold him as a slave. Those brothers caused all of that misery in Joseph's life. Yes, they were all poor excuses, you could say, of older brothers, for sure. Yet Joseph, he was able to see the bigger picture outside of the hardship that he went through because there's always a bigger picture outside of the hardship. He was able to see that it was God's perfect plan unfolding in the midst of his brother's wicked hearts. That's when Joseph was able to look into the very eyes of his brothers that sold him as a teenager. And he was able to say to them in Genesis 50 verse 19, he said, Do not be afraid, for am I in God's place? And as for you, You meant evil against me. When you sold me, you guys were dogs. And you meant it as evil. But God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. So therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. So he comforted them and he spoke kindly to them. Notice what he said twice there. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. That's a great thing to hear from the person who holds your future in his hands. And that's exactly what we have in our lives here today. We have the God of creation that looks after each and every one of us in spite of everything that's happening in our country now and what's happening in our world. And let's just say this. Jesus said, be anxious for nothing. Be anxiety filled for nothing. Be fearful for nothing. What is he saying? Do not 
be afraid. It's amazing how if you fear God, you fear nothing else in life. You don't fear dying because I'm going to go to heaven. You don't fear anything else because he'll meet all my needs. You don't fear what could happen because God causes all things to work together for good to those that love him. But if you don't fear God, you fear everything. You fear dying. You fear what's going to happen next. You fear everything in life. Fear God, fear nothing less. Don't fear God, fear everything else. Everything else. Jesus said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Yes, we know the one who holds our todays in his hand. We know the one that holds our tomorrows in his hand. We know the one that holds all of our eternity in his hand. We can cast all of our cares upon him. Why? Because he, the Lord God, is our rock. He is our rock. I love that verse in Psalm 46, verse 1 and 2, where he says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, what's the therefore, therefore? Because God is our refuge and strength. And he goes on to say, so we will not fear, though the earth should change and though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea. That's pretty cataclysmic. Could you imagine the mountains being slipping into the sea? That's the big one in California. The whole thing just falls into the ocean. You're living in Arizona and Phoenix. You got beachfront property now because California, boom. Okay, so that's cataclysmic, right? But God says, don't you fear So it really doesn't matter what others have done to us, right? Because we've all had others that have stepped on us. We've all had others that have passed over us, that have forgotten us, that have forsaken us. But it's like it doesn't matter what others have done. The question is this, are we going to allow what's happened in our life to cause great bitterness in our soul today? That's the question. Or are we willing to move on from that bitterness? Are we willing to let go of that bitterness and move forward with God's calling in our lives? We have to let go of the, I don't get mad, I just get even routine, right? I don't get mad, I just get even. No, we got to let that go. Yes, the Bible asks us to do the unbelievable. What does it ask us to do? The Bible actually asks us to forgive those who have caused us great misery in our lives. Know this, God is only asking us to simply give out what we have freely received from him ourselves. And what is that again? Forgiveness. We should all take note of what we are told in Ephesians 4.31, where it says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as Christ and God has also forgiven us. Well, getting back here to Egypt, The Bible records that the Israelites lived in the best of the land and everything was great. It was smooth sailing, put on the cruise control because again, Joseph made sure that the family was totally hooked up. That is until Joseph died. Well, let's look at our point here as we get into our text, Exodus chapter one, verse one. It says, now these are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob. They came, each one with his household. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, 
and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan and Naphtali, Gad and Asher. Well, there you go. You throw Joseph in there and you got the 12 tribes of Israel. And that's the 12 tribes that God established all of his word on and everything. Verse five, all the persons who came from the loins of Jacob, remember Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and then Jacob's 12 sons, the 12 tribes of Israel. It says, it goes on to say, and all the persons who came from the loins of Jacob were 70 in number, but Joseph was already in Egypt and Joseph died. And all his brothers, they died too. And all that generation, they're all dead. They're gone. Verse seven, but the sons of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly and multiplied and became exceedingly mighty so that the land was filled with them. We'll stop there for a moment here. Notice how God is very detailed in keeping track of time, places, and people. Now, why does he do that? Well, it's very important for many reasons, but one of the most important reasons is this. We serve the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Why is that important to us? Because the Bible is very clear, there are no other gods. God makes this so clear in his word. He tells us in Isaiah chapter 43, verse 10, he says, you, That's those who believe in the Lord God. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, so that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me, there is no God formed, and there's going to be none after me. I, even I, am the Lord, and there is no Savior besides me. Notice that the word savior means the deliverer who is God. Jesus was that God who came and delivered his people. He was the savior. Notice there is only one God and there is no savior but him. People will say in times of hardship, I'll pray for you. We see this uh, celebrity, someone famous dies and what's everyone say? The newscasters, oh, our prayers are with you. Excuse me, who are you praying to? Because you're not a Christian. You're not following the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Who are you praying to? It all sounds so nice. It sounds so comforting. Oh, we're praying for you. But who are they praying to? There is only one God. And he makes sure, just like we see here, that he keeps perfect track and he traces every generation and all the genealogies. So you get into the book of Numbers and you'll read for three chapters straight. This guy begat this guy, this guy begat this guy, this guy begat this guy. You're like, yes, Lord, I was in my devotions this morning and I got absolutely nothing out of it. I read and I read and I read. This guy begat this guy begat. You're thinking, what a waste of time, but it's not a waste of time because God keeps track of of all the genealogies. Again, why? So that we know who we're talking about. So we know the God of the Bible, that we know that he's the only savior. So when Muslims say, we serve Allah, really? Who's that? Because there's only one God and he's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's who we serve. See, the whole Islam would say that Abraham had two sons, and we 
believe that the promised son was Ishmael that was born from Hagar the maid. And we know that that's not the promised son. We know that that's not true. For here God keeps the genealogy straight. It was through Isaac, the son of Sarah, his wife. That's where the promised son was, not Hagar the maid. And that's why we can trace all the way through Abraham, through Adam and Eve, through Seth, through Enoch, Methuselah, all the way down to Abraham. And then Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, through the son Judah, through Salmon, Boaz, and Ruth, Obed, and Jesse, David, and Solomon, Asa, and Jehoshaphat, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, all the way down to Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the bloodline can be followed because of God keeping track of genealogies. Yes, the God-man, the only savior of humanity, Jesus Christ. So here in Exodus, God takes the time to keep, again, the genealogy straight. Remember, God is a God of order. Verse five tells us Jacob had moved to Egypt with 70 people his whole family. Yet when God delivered them out of Egypt, the Bible records in Numbers chapter 1 verse 46 that there were 603,550 men. Wow, those are a lot of babies that were born there. But see, some have said, and I just read this Hebrew, this Jewish rabbi saying, oh, that must be a misprint. It must have been something like 60,000 instead. I'm like, who are you to take God's word and to change what God has said? This is not a crazy number at all. It's, It's not even counting the women and children again. So which, of course, would bring that number up to well over 2 million, probably more than that. Because just a modest annual growth rate of 5%. It would be over 2 million people in just 215 years. And they were in Egypt for some 400 years. So this is obviously a huge amount of people living in the land that belongs to another people and another race. It belonged to the Egyptians. Well, this caused those Egyptians to get a little nervous, a little hot under the collar, you could say. I guess you could say the honeymoon was over with these people that are living in their land. In fact, the honeymoon had been over for quite some time. Yes, Joseph had been dead for almost 400 years, and the children of God had been living high on the hog for this very long time in Egypt. Let's pick up and read again. Exodus chapter 1, picking in verse 8. It says, Now a new king arose over Egypt, and he did not know Joseph. Oh, yeah, really? You you read history? Verse 9, he said to his people, Behold, the people of the sons of Israel are more and mightier than we. Come, let us deal wisely with them, or else they will multiply, and in the event of war, they will also join themselves to those who hate us and fight against us and depart from our land. Verse 11, so they appointed taskmasters over them to afflict them with hard labor. And they built for Pharaoh storage cities, Pithom and Ramesses. Verse 12, but the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and the more they spread out so that they were in dread of the sons of Israel. The Egyptians compelled the sons of Israel to labor 
in dread uh, rigorously, and they made their lives bitter with hard labor and mortar and bricks at all kinds of labor in the field, all their labor which they rigorously imposed on them. Wow, so you look at the glory of Egypt that it once was, the pyramids and everything, that was all built on the backs of God's people. Well, this new king, it says, he arose in Egypt. He's the new pharaoh. He's the man in charge. And he didn't know Joseph. Have you lost your mind? This is what happens when you wipe out your history of a country, and that's exactly what America's doing today. This is a stretch, because it might be said better He chose not to remember his history. He chose not to remember Joseph. Joseph was a legend in the land of Egypt, for it was Joseph that saved the superpower from total extinction from the seven years of famine. But like they say, out of sight, out of mind. Thanks for joining us for Core Truth Radio. You've been listening to pastor and Bible teacher Steve Wilburn of Core Church Los Angeles. If you'd like to hear more messages by Pastor Steve, download the Core Church Los Angeles free app. Core Truth is sponsored by and is a listener-supported outreach of Core Church LA. If you've been blessed by this program, consider supporting our radio ministry by texting Core Church LA, all one word, to 77977. You can also give via our app, and online at corechurchla.org. Or you can mail your support to P.O. Box 34789, Los Angeles, California, 90034. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.